0: All right, everybody. Welcome to Bible study. Good to see you tonight. Yeah. Glad you're here and take a moment and pray, ask God to bless our time, and then we'll get moving with the Bible study. Father, thanks for uh, just life. We thank you for uh, pouring life into us, speaking life into us. We thank you that um, you are life, you're our life, and so I just thank you for that breath of life that you give to each one of us. I pray that we would find rest, peace, joy, purpose in you tonight. And I ask you that you would speak. Uh, We'd have ears to hear. We'd have a heart that's open and ready to receive. A mind that's open, uh, maybe to what you want to show us, maybe some things that you want to change in the way we think or in our minds. But I ask you, God, that you'd move. And I pray for more life tonight. I pray for uh, just being closer to you. I pray that we would uh, just have uh, an encounter by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I just uh, ask you to move in us as individuals, and I pray you move in us as a group of people tonight. So we welcome you to our midst. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here, Jesus. Uh, have your way. And I pray we'd recognize your presence tonight. We would recognize you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature. With Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's s p e a k p i p e dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study. All one word. You go there to that web page, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail, and we'd love to hear from you. Could be just saying hi. Or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. It could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Hebrews 2. You need a Bible, they're located on the tables. Feel free to use one. Hebrews chapter two, and you volunteer to read verse eight. And put everything under their feet. And
1: putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present
0: we do not see everything subject to them. Okay, thanks. All right, so you've just read that, Jeannie, so I'm going to put you on the spot. When you read that what did um what did that mean to you? Okay now, in the verse, though, when you read it, is it singular or plural? Yeah, why did uh, why do you think your brain went to that immediately? Um, the thing of to in of right, correct. That is correct. Uh, but uh, the way it's written, it's uh, quoting. And you go back up into verse five. There, uh, verse eight is establishing the truth of verse five. Look at verse five. See what that says. that you are of them. Of the man that you care for them. All right. So what's being established in verse 8 is that truth in verse 5. And the truth in verse 5 where he's quoting a psalm is that the idea is, is that God made the world and he had a purpose as he made the world that the world would be and you can read in Genesis and understand how he created everything that the world would be under subjection to who? Us. And so that was the, the intended purpose. That was the created purpose of God. And so if as that was a created and intended purpose of God, that it's not something that's just thrown away. It's like everything else that He intended, everything else that was part of His purpose in creation, it's not thrown away. Uh, Adam and Eve made their mistakes. They did whatever they did, and they faced consequences for what they did. That's all part of our understanding and theology that... Uh, there's consequences to action. And so they, they had one limitation in the garden. They couldn't somehow find it in themselves to at least keep that one thing they were told to do. It was one thing. Don't eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So they ate the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So there were consequences to that. It was, you know, how ridiculous that is. You can do anything you want. Just don't do that. Uh, what are you going to do? I'll do that. All right. So consequences to that, they were, kicked out of the garden, there were certain curses that were put on them. there were certain things that happened, and we've all faced the consequences of what took place there. But God had made them for a reason, his reasons. God had uh, poured out into them a certain authority for his reasons. He had given them a certain job to do for his reasons. And all of these things were all a part of his original intent in creation. And and so regardless of whether, and they did, regardless of their actions, His intent remains the same. His purpose remains the same. And that's just something we believe. And, and so as you go through history and you go through time, and we have all this recorded in the Bible, how there were different revelations and there were different moments where God showed Himself and different people that God chose to to align them with him. Uh, People like Abraham or people like Noah or or people like Enoch or people that they came after like Moses or all those people that they got just children, David, that came after them. How he aligned himself and and he aligned them with him and with his purposes, all that was just part of his plan of restoration. And so uh, looking at it from a big, big picture view of of being able to see all of it at once, you can kind of see how there was just this motion moving us toward Jesus. And that motion that was moving us toward Jesus, getting people ready, uh, getting people in a position to receive, getting people with an understanding so that they could begin to understand what He did and what He was doing, and, and really moving His people in a certain direction. Well, it's taking place over thousands of years. We don't really have that perspective right now. We can read about it and we can kind of see it through history, but we don't live in that kind of perspective all the time. And so for us, it's kind of hard for us to see it, but there was this motion and there was this movement and there were these things that God was doing and He was orchestrating certain things so that we would end up and be at the place that He wanted us to be. So all of it culminating, at least to that point, in Jesus. And so part of Jesus' role and part of what Jesus was doing was a reestablishment and of what God's purposes are on the earth. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. There's a that there. An actual grammatical that. It's not just the. It's that which was lost. And so while he came to seek and to save the lost, that's absolutely true, there was something that was lost. There was something that, that had been laid down, something that had been taken away, something that had been forgotten or that had been let go of and that He came to restore. So He he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you look at that and say, like, alright, so there's relationship. You talk about John 3.16 and, and the verses that, that are all around that. John 3.3 3, and, and the idea that Jesus said, well, we're being born of the Spirit. Being born of the flesh. And, and, and all that that would mean, and all that that would have to do with His purpose and His plan for us. It was a lot more than what they had made it. It's like they were so hyper-focused on certain aspects of the law, and they hyper-focused on certain things that, that Jesus called, well, these are little things. but you, You've got the little things, but you miss the big things. And so you look at the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus is majoring on the big things, and he's talking to people. It's like, well, this is how that God, this is how my Father intends you to live. These are the really things that matter. These are the things that, that actually have some kind of meaning for your life. And he emphasized those things in people's lives. And he began to take a, a gospel and begin to take a an understanding of God that went from this external expression of God to this internal reality of Him in our individual lives. This was prophesied through Ezekiel and prophesied through Jeremiah that that would be the move. That would be the shift that would be brought where the limitations that we would face, the understandings that we would face, the actual presence of God that we would experience would be in us. And there's something really powerful about that. Whatever limitation that God brings is is coming from the center of us. Whatever uh, direction that God has for us, it comes from the center of us. Whatever experience that we're going to have in His presence is going to come from the center of us. And Jesus emphasized that. He emphasized rivers of living water that rise up in our belly from our innermost being. And so there was a really there's a shift of that which was external of do this don't do that kind of stuff to that which was internal as to what's your motivation what drives you what what is the the thing that's behind whatever that external thing is it was like Jesus said all right yeah it says don't don't kill your brother that's the external thing if you went out and murdered your brother well Jesus said well no that's not it It's what takes place in here first. If you hate your brother, you've already murdered him. And he took something that had been clearly an external action and he re-emphasized it and he brought it back to a truth. And that central truth was what just happened in you? What came from inside of you? What came from the center of your being that produced that outward action? What What is that? And that's the part that he's concerned with. And that's what he emphasized. And that's what he taught toward. That's what mattered. It matters what's happening in us. It matters what is happening, not only just on the outside, but really what is happening, really, really what is happening on the inside. That's why you get those radical teachings that Jesus brought, like people don't like to hear. Like nothing entering into you can defile you. But it's what comes out of you. That's what defiles you. I mean, whatever the fruit was of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, Adam and Eve were already defiled. Because the, the desire to rebel had come from within them. And they had been defiled through that. So the knowledge of good and evil was birthed in them as a result of that rebellion and that disobedience that had already taken place in their innermost being, in their heart. And so that was the issue. I mean, we always make it about what? They ate of the the tree, so they ate a piece of fruit. The piece of fruit isn't what defiled them. It was their decision It was what came from them that led to that that defiled them. That's what opened them to the knowledge of good and evil. And so that inner change, whatever that was that took place in them, that had to be addressed. And that wasn't going to be addressed through outward rules and regulations. Not really. You can control someone's behavior through outward rules and regulations, but you can't really help them to see change in their innermost being by just setting a set of rules over them. Something inside has to change. Something inside has to be made different. And so that's the work of Jesus. That's what he's talking about, that you be that the idea of being born again. And they're confused by that. It's like, well, what, are we going to enter into our mother's womb again? Obviously not. So what did he mean by that? It's like well, we need to be born of the spirit and be born of water. So you need you get a physical birth. That's the water birth. Now, you know, you understand what I mean by that. That the water breaks and you're born of water. We we grow in vitro, um, in water. So so there's being born of water and then being born of the spirit. So he, his emphasis there was okay. You've been born of water. That's not the emphasis that he's making. The emphasis that he's trying to say to them is that you need to be born of the Spirit. In other words, there needs to be something that takes place in you that wakes you up. That there's a creative work that takes place inside of you that wakes up something in your spirit. And that's the part of you that's going to respond to the Holy Spirit. That's the part of you that's going to flow forth from your life by the power of the Holy Spirit as God will develop that and as God begins to bring that to pass in you. And so we're on this journey. And, and that's really where we look at these verses. God's purposes and plan didn't change. That's why the psalmist, David, is writing there in, in Psalm 9, where he talks about this idea of who we are. That God made the world and He put us in charge. And, and the idea of, and you see it in the, in, in the original language there in Hebrews, that, or excuse me, in Genesis, where he talks about having dominion over. I mean, dominion is a pretty strong word. And then you see in, in Psalm, you see the same kind of thing, but then in Hebrews, you see the same thing. And this is that New Testament understanding where they're trying to take the gospel and make it understandable to people that have been trained and have been brought up in the traditions and understandings of the Old Testament. And they're saying, okay, well, this is how this all fits together. Well, this part of it fits together in this, that that proclamation that was made over Adam and Eve, that does not just fall away. But that's something that God is saying, this is who we are. Now, we don't see it necessarily. And that's why when Jeannie read it, that's why I asked her, "Well, who's he talking about?" Because we don't see it, even though it was plural, <laughs> and even though it, you know, if you reread it and you read it, it's like, okay, I guess he's talking about us. Almost, we're almost embarrassed to admit that, right? Because we're not really living that. But that's who he's talking about. That's that's what the psalmist is talking about, and that's what's being quoted in Hebrews. But what I want you to understand through that is that there had to be one that showed up. Alright? One. One human that was born. One human that lived it out. One human that did this. That all things were under subjection to Him. One human that showed us, that proved by His life, that all of this was true. And that's Jesus. He's the human. And so we have to, somehow, in our heart and mind, accept that He lived as a human. Because it's through His humanity, and it's through His life, through His decisions, through everything He did, that that becomes our example, but it also becomes our hope, and it becomes our confirmation that God, what He said in the beginning, what He proclaimed in the beginning, is what He is still doing now. Now. It's still valid. It's still good. And we have an example of someone who actually lived it. Well, how do you know he had dominion over all these things? Well, look at what he did. He could command the sea, right? He could command the wind and the waves. And they listened to him. Because he had dominion over that. He had authority over that. He understood it. The weather would listen to him. He had dominion over. He could. He, can people walk on water? No, he could, because he had dominion over that, and he lived in that sense, and that knowledge, and that understanding of what dominion means. That it was subject unto, subject unto him. So he was able to walk on water. People can't do that. He can. Well, people can do that. How do you know that? Because he can. You see the the idea behind that. Is that, And you would see that even in the Old Testament. I mean, you know, Elisha had the axe head float. Axe heads don't float. But he called it up, and it floated. So so you see it, and it occurs through the Bible, that there are those moments where you can see that moment. And you say, yeah, yeah, we, this is who we are. This is who God created us to be, is that. And Jesus is that example. That's who He created us to be. But you have got to have some kind of expectation for that. In other words, this whole idea is like, "Oh, well, Jesus, if you make Him the exception, if you make Him the exception in humanity instead of the rule, you'll never ever be like Him because He's something else. You're, you're gonna be, you're gonna be the human being that you are." Well, he needs to be the human being that he was. He needs to be the rule. He's the human. He's the guy that we're looking to and we're saying, I want to be like that. That's the human we want to be like. But he needs to be that. As as humans, we look at him and it's either we're going to accept the fact that, okay, how did he do the things he did? Well, Acts 10.38 is how he did it. Well, we know that. Okay, well, let's believe that. Let's believe it's Acts 10.38. Let's believe it's the anointing of God on him that gave him power to do things he did. Let's actually believe that. Let's say, recognize the anointing that God's put on us and let's look at him and say, all right, I want to be like that. That's it. And I know that sounds like rudimentary. It sounds silly. It's like, oh yeah, everybody knows that. Be like Jesus. Yeah, well, okay. Then let's live that out. Let's live that out. Let's look and see. Okay, well, how did Jesus live? Let's live it out. Well, some things Jesus did, let's do it. You've seen the things that I've done, you'll do even greater. Jesus said to His disciples, let's get it done. They had a fundamental understanding of this. How do you know that? Because they lived it out. They, they heard Him. They heard Him. It's like, you've seen the things I've done, you'll do even greater. They heard that. But they believed it. And they had to live that out. And so then at the hands of the apostles you're seeing signs and wonders and miracles and all these things taking place. Why? Because they fundamentally believed that that's who they want to be like, Jesus. They fundamentally believed that He was true to His Word. They fundamentally believed that He wasn't lying to them when He said, you've seen what I've done, you'll do even greater. And if you're going to look at Jesus any other way, then He just lied about that. He was just lying. If you really want to believe that. If you really want to believe it, that he's the exception, then he lied when he said that. Because there's no way, if he's the exception, that we can do that stuff. There's no way. We don't have it in us. We don't have the technology to do it. We don't have the power to do it. We cannot somehow just muster that up in order to be able to do things that he did. The only way that can possibly happen is that he's not the exception. He's the rule. And then we want to be like him. Then we're going to believe in what he says. All right, you seen me do it. Now you go do it. He presented himself as the rule and not as the exception. Don't get smarter than him. Don't. Don't figure it out more than he's got it. He explained it. He explained it how he wanted us to understand it. We don't need to somehow overthink what he has said. He has said what he wants us to believe. I think that's good enough. So the verse in verse 8, Hebrews 2.8, establishes verse 5. And it's the whole idea, and the dominion, the rule and authority that God has given us is earthly, but it's also spiritual which includes angels. I know you don't like to think about that, but that's true. That if you didn't believe that, follow me on this, if you don't believe that, then you probably don't have a lot of authority over demons. Because they're angels. You follow that? So if we're going to believe we have authority over spiritual things, that includes spiritual things. Because that's what God has given us. And so he is establishing something that isn't completely and totally fulfilled yet but it's being fulfilled in our lives. Like I said, it's hard for us to look at it because we look at it and say, "Yeah, I'm not really living all that yet." That's correct. But we need some kind of a hope, we need some kind of a something that we're looking at and saying, "Okay, that's what I want." You need something that you can move toward with the idea that that's where I'm heading. And maybe you're not there today. Right, none of us are. Maybe you're not seeing that in full force today. Right, none of us are. But there has to be something that we're pointed at so that we can get there. I mean, my compass points at the North Pole. I'm not necessarily going to the North Pole. But I'm going somewhere in between and I'm heading in that direction if I'm going north. It gives me my direction. And so just because it's way far away and I'm not going to get there today doesn't mean I won't get there eventually. And just because it's way far away and it's going to take time to get there doesn't mean I'm not going to get there eventually or whatever it's going to be. But there's these these places I'm going to get to in between that are on the way that my compass is pointing to that I'll get as close as I can. So I just want you to think about the first day. It's like you a, you got your compass point in Jesus. All right, well, He seems that's far away. Right. Let's get as far as we can. Let's get as far as we can. Today, tomorrow, the next day, whatever it is. Let's, let's, let's do that. And so it's not yet fulfilled, but it's a divine purpose for me and for you and for us. So he starts off this this verse, he says, all things, all things. Now, what does that mean? Everything right, so without exception, nothing is left out. That's what it means, and he goes into the rest of the verse and explains that 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 that's exactly what it means. Without exception, nothing is left out. It's in subjection and under our feet. That's what he says. That's what he says. And I, I want to. I'm going to give you a little side note here. This verse. If you've ever need this, take it. If you don't, you can forget I said it. But this verse is a confirmation of the method that we use for biblical interpretation. Because we use this method of biblical interpretation by reading something, in the language that is written in, in other words, saying that, like this, uh, all things. What does that mean? That means without exception. Those are absolute words. And that's part of our biblical interpretation is to notice absolute words and build our faith and understanding on those verses based on those absolute words. This verse is a confirmation of that method. Because I've had people try to tell me, it's like, yeah, well, you can't do that. Well, sure you can. Well, you can't. Then then you get all messed up on other things. I, I don't know how. But that's what I've heard before. It's like, well, it doesn't really mean that. Then why did He say it? And this verse, I love this verse because not only does He say it, but then He explains it. He's like all things. And by that I mean nothing is left out. I mean, he, He actually explains what an absolute word is and what that absolute phrase is. He tells us. So, I don't know who's telling me, I kind of do, but I don't know who's telling me that you can't do that. He just did it. The writer of Hebrews just did it. Because that's a way of understanding what God is saying. And we serve the God of the universe. It's not surprising that He speaks in absolutes. That is not surprising. And it shouldn't be surprising. We don't like absolutes. Human beings don't like absolutes. The eternal God of the universe uses absolutes with no problem. That's not His issue. That's our issue. And if we're allowing our issue to affect how we interpret what the God of the universe, the infinite, powerful, almighty, everlasting God of the universe is saying, then we're going to miss a lot of what He wants us to understand about Him and also about me, about us. We're going to miss it. Because there's certain absolute things that we just need to allow our faith to activate on. We just need it. And we need to have a solid faith in some of those things. That, that we just don't let it go and we don't waver. And we're not being tossed about by every wind of doctrine. We're not being tossed to and fro by circumstances in our lives and all those kind of things like that because there are certain absolute truths. That, that we need to have solid, solid in our bank if we're going to stand in the day of trial. you just got to have it. And so, if you explain that away by your own queasiness of absolutes, it's going to be hard to stand in the day of trial. It's going to be hard to, to sail straight when your ship gets tossed. It's going to be hard. You don't have a solid bearing. You don't have, you don't have a, a solid understanding of direction. That this is the truth. Regardless of how I feel right now. This is the truth. Regardless of what's happening in my life. This is the truth. Regardless of, uh, of whatever the circumstance, situation, emotion, whatever is going on right now. That is the truth. And that's something that needs to guide us. But if we don't allow for it, for that absolute understanding If we don't allow that to exist we're not going to have that solid direction now i started this off by saying this and i want to re-emphasize this there's certain things that matter that jesus says it matters and there's certain things that don't really matter that much and the way you know the difference between those two things is you look at what jesus talks about and you let him define that and so while the Pharisees were majoring on a tenth of however much mint they were taken in, or coriander seeds or whatever, Jesus is worried about people taking care of their mom and their dad when they get old. Right? So, which one was important to Jesus? Take care of your mom and dad when they get old. Not the coriander seed. Not the mint. And, and you, can get all, you can get all upset about the mint. You can get all upset about the little things and you can get all militant about the little things, because you know what? That's easier. It's easier to be militant about little things. That's within your grasp. That's within your control. It's another thing to take hold of some truth, like take care of your people. Yeah, all right. That, that's hard. That's inconvenient. That's not as easy as just counting off a tenth and giving it at the temple. I mean, taking care of people is really hard, and so, but that's what he cares about. That's one of the things he cares about is taking care of people. All right, you know, it's like, like Joshua was saying, there's a couple little things you gotta know: love God, love each other. What we're we, we gonna do? That's the hard stuff, right? The, the easy stuff is whatever else you throw in there. I don't know what that is, but we just throw something in there. It's like, oh, well, that, yeah. That's not the easy. The easy stuff is all the little rules and all the little things. The hard stuff is actually caring about somebody and actually expressing that care in their lives. That's the hard part. So Jesus... Jesus tasted life. In other words, He was born into the world. So human so he entered the world and at least in his birth in a normal fashion he was a baby helpless had to be taken care of had to be fed all the stuff had to happen he was raised as a human experienced all there is to experience as being a child into adulthood and then lived out his life in ministry facing the fact that sometimes people loved him and sometimes people, people didn't love him. Sometimes people followed him, and sometimes people were trying to kill him, including his family. Like sometimes they thought he was the greatest, and sometimes they thought it was out of his mind and trying to help him out. So all these things that he experienced were just human things, like us. That's not what we experienced. And so that was part of his experience base. And then he also tasted of death. And he died, physical death, he died, and then experienced that and everything that went along with that, which we don't know fully everything that goes along with that yet because we haven't died yet. And so then he was resurrected and he experienced life in the glorified body. So you think about Jesus. He didn't all of a sudden just transition back to where he came from. That he, There was a transition that took place, but he still had a human form. He still had holes in his hands. He still had a hole in his side. He still had holes in his feet. Uh, The marks of his death were still on him. And so he experienced all of those things. And so all of that was a part of who he is. And that provides for him and for us grace and wisdom. Those are the two things that provides for him and for us. And so, if you begin to think about, contemplate for a second who you're meant to be, the idea of who we're meant to be. Let's see. I am meant to be what? All right. Let's think about this for a second. I am meant to be capable of divine communion. Okay, that that's part of what we're meant to be. I'm meant to be visited by God. So God actually visits us. He's with us. And it's just part of, part of His purposes for our lives. And so we're made in such a way that we're made so that we host, we're meant to be visited by God, that we're capable of divine communion. In other words, we have connection with God. That... You think about the, all the words communion means. It, it, get beyond the religious aspect of it. Think about what the word communion means. That's to be in conversation. That's to be in relationship. is to be in sharing of emotions and time and information, but more than that. The sharing of life. So we're, so we're meant to be in communion with God. Sharing life with God. We are meant to... That we to be a, a special object of divine care. In other words, God has made a decision that He wants to care for us, He wants to take care of us, and so He gives to us, He pours out into our life in a lavish fashion, so He takes care of us. So we know Him as provider, uh, as Yahweh Jireh, but He's more than that, He's comforter. He brings us peace. He gives us joy. I mean, all these things, He takes care of us. And so, over all of the creatures on God's earth, the way that God has made things, we're king. We're king. So that's the the contemplation. In other words, that's That's the thing I want you to think about. Then the next question that comes up, which is what we discussed at the very beginning of this, okay, so... We're capable of being visited by God, divine communion, special object of divine care, and of all the creatures on the earth, we're king. So where are all these people? They're living like that. Well, that's right. And that's really the question. Where are these people? Well, there's one person that lived like that his whole life. That's Jesus. So we have one person. But then all of us need to be, at least as part of that hope, and part of that understanding that we're all moving in that direction. I mean, you've all seen and experienced some of these things. So you understand this. You understand that that you've had those moments where you've experienced divine care or those moments where you you've experienced divine communion or you've experienced a visitation by God probably in your life. You've had those moments. So you know that they're possible. But that's who we're made to be. So not only is it just possible in moments, it's it's our life. And so those moments need to translate into building an expectation, building a faith that that's who God's called us to be and that's where He has us going right now. And let's participate in getting there. Because we need to really think about who we're supposed to be, contemplate that, but also participate in the movement in our lives, the movement toward that. Because if you have no expectation, you have no faith for it, then you're probably not moving in any particular direction. So you'd have to have some kind of an expectation. You'd have to have some kind of a faith if you're going to move in in that direction. Because it's a matter of fact that we're not living in all of that right now. Jesus is. But it's also a matter of fact that we will... Get there through Him. It's just a question of when. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit impatient. And I want that. And so I want to move toward that. But I want to move toward that not kicking and screaming. I want to move toward that not resisting and dragging my feet. I I want to move toward that not digging my heels in and getting pulled somehow. I want to run toward that. I want, I want that for my life. But I have to have some kind of faith and I have to have some kind of expectation that that's where I'm heading. But that's who God has for me to be. The life, this life that we're talking about has been lived. That's a fact. But it will be again. Many, many, many times over. And that's also a fact. Because He was the firstborn among many brethren not unique. So, we have to erase that to take hold of where we're heading. We have to erase that unique idea in order to follow the heading and follow the vector that we have to get to where God has us to be. So it's going to be one step at a time, but we need to be moving in that direction. Win faith. In faith. Let's look at a few verses. Um, I've referred to this a few times. Psalm 8.6. Somebody want to look that up? Psalm 8.6. You have given Him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under His feet. All right. And this was what was being quoted in Hebrews. That was the verse when he said, Somebody somewhere said well it was right there. That's where it where it was. All right, somebody look at uh we're gonna go back a little bit here. Somebody look at first Timothy two six. 1
1: Timothy
0: 2.6 Alright, so talking about Jesus, what I'm doing right now, just so you can follow along what I'm doing, I talked for a long time right then. Now I want to give some verses (laughs) to back up some of the stuff I was saying so that you have some basis for what I'm talking about. So 1 Timothy 2.6, it talks about Jesus, how part of his role and part of what he was doing was to give his life as a ransom for us what's a ransom cuz that's a word right i mean we use that word for other things the price paid for something kidnapped or stolen right so something got stolen which we already know that's what i was already talking about right so so our life was stolen purpose was stolen God's plan for us was st- All that stuff was stolen. I mean, we gave it away, but it was stolen. And, and so Jesus came and gave His life as a ransom. In other words, to get it back. There has to be something to get back. And that's the idea behind the ransom. That's why that's an important verse, and an important word, and words have meaning, is that He means that something was gone. Okay. And so he had to give his life to get it back. That's what we're talking about. Second Corinthians five 15. 2 Corinthians five fifteen. And he died for all, but those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake Alright, All right, so a change of perspective. You look at a change of perspective here. That He died, what? To change our perspective from Me to Him. Why is that important? Because He is the firstborn among many brethren. He is is what we're working toward. He is what we're moving toward. He is the one that's showing us who we are. And so we need to lift our eyes off of this because we'll only be as good, great, powerful, whatever you want to say about me, we'll only be as much as we can think of unless we put our eyes on Him. And our brains are pretty finite. And our brains are not necessarily capable of understanding who it is that we're supposed to be. So if all we're looking at is ourself and we're deciding who we're going to be and what we're ever going to be, it will never be as much as it is if we're looking at Jesus. And He's redefining our lives. He's redefining who we are. So we have to... Part of His sacrifice was to change our gaze. And the limitations that our gaze brings on ourselves, because we just can't come up with anything good enough. He's what we need. He's who we are. He's who we're becoming. A Few more verses. First Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 29.
1: must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything he has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized? dead. The dead are not
0: raised at all. Why are people baptized for Alright, so what you're seeing in this verse is the, the work of Christ. This is the work of Jesus. And the work of Jesus is the work of putting everything under subjection, in other words to bringing things back into order as God has created it. This was the original intent in creation and the original purposes in creation that you see being laid out in these verses. The idea of, alright, well, All things are subject unto God. All things are under His dominion. All things are under His rule and reign. All things are answerable to Him. All of those things were a part of how God spoke in the original creation and made everything. And it says the last enemy defeated was death. So Jesus tasted of life. He tasted of death in order to defeat death. That was the last enemy. Because we know that it's defeated because He arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. So all of that's been defeated. And and you know Adam and Eve, they were never meant to die. That was, that was all part of God's creation, God's purpose, God's plan for them. So they would have never died, so death wasn't even in the equation for them. And so part. so as you read down through that, and I know it can get confusing, and you might read it and get all confused and just tune out of it, but the, the real thing that's taking place there is that all of those things that he mentions is all a restoration of the original purposes that God had for his creation, including us. So Jesus, who tasted of all that life, shows how to live, also tasted of death in order to defeat death, the final enemy, and bring life to it. So that's been done. So now, we're looking to Him. All right, so He's done all of these things. He's made all of the restoration. And when He's done with all the restoration, He just hands everything back over and says, Okay, it's just the way you made it. we got to find our place in that. we got to find our place, my place in that. In other words, I, if that's all been done, which I believe it has, then where am I in that equation? Well, I'm looking at Jesus. Where am I in that equation? I'm I'm letting him change me and I'm letting my faith grow that I'm going to be like that. Cuz I want to take my place in creation the way God intended me to take it. So, that's a process. That's the process. Ephesians 1, 20, 21 and 22. Ephesians one twenty through twenty two. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him
1: at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed us to be head over everything for the church.
0: Alright. So you see, uh, this is a a picture we have. Glorified. There's Jesus. And He's got all things under His feet. And uh, He said, remember what He said in the Great Commission? Part of that was, All authority has been given Me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Well, that's a proclamation. That's a proclamation of truth. That's a proclamation of, of the reality of the situation. That's a proclamation of what the Father has said is and so there's a part of us that looks at that and believes that right because that's jesus all right now make him not the exception and understand that 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 there's a, a movement that's going on in faith toward the rule he's the rule and so He's got all this authority, all the authority we get in him in heaven and earth, all the rest of that stuff, then we're to go be go therefore. In other words, based on that, based on his authority, based on his power, based on who he is, based on who we're becoming, 'cause we're becoming like him, go ye therefore. Because we're part of the same equation. Philippians two, nine and ten. yeah yeah and and look at these verses again and i, I know I'm saying this, and know I'm saying this, and know I'm saying this, but you look at these verses and understand that this is Jesus all right he's the example, all right, and we worship him, we worship uh worship the Father, we worship the son, worship the Holy Spirit. That's all part of our worship, and it's an understanding of that. But it's also an understanding of of He came to restore our lives as to who we are. He came to restore our identity as to who we are. And allow Him to do that. Allow Him to be that. And part of that is recognizing that we're connected to Him. Does that mean we don't worship Him? Absolutely not. We absolutely worship Him. Does it mean that we don't praise Him? We do. We don't bow the knee to Him? Of course we do. But that we have a connection to Him. And to recognize that connection is an important part of who we are to become. And so, when Paul's proclaiming Jesus saying uh, uh, that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, well, yeah, that should be automatic for us. But he's saying that's for Everybody. Now, there's going to come a day where everybody's going to recognize what we're talking about tonight. Every creature on the face of the earth, every, every creature in the heavenlies, every creature in the spiritual realm is going to bow a knee and they're going to recognize as to what we're talking about tonight. And I don't want to be part of that other part of it. I want to be part of the part that's, that's recognizing it today. And so, I read that verse, it's like, yeah, everybody's going to be forced into this. I don't want to be forced into this. I want to recognize today the truth of who Jesus is, in in all the ways that we're talking about. Is he worthy of praise? Absolutely. Is he the firstborn among many brethren? Absolutely. Is he the rule for my life? Absolutely. Is he showing me who I am? Absolutely, he is. That's the human part and all that he was and is. That's what he's showing me. But I'm either going to believe that and I'm either going to follow into that and I'm going to I'm going to just lean into that in faith, or I'm just going to sit on the outside until. What? I'm forced to bow a knee? Or am I going to willingly recognize it? Am I going to willingly recognize who He is and throw my life into that? That's what I want. Last verse, Colossians 2.10 Colossians 2.10 Who's been brought to fullness? Yeah. So, if we're going to be who we're supposed to be, it's going to be in Jesus. That's the fullness. And I guess we can live half full or quarter full or dribble full, I guess, but it's going to be in Him if we're going to be full. And so our, in, in really becoming fully who we're called to be, fully who we're created to be, Fully, who our purposes and 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 all that God intended for our lives, we're going to fully recognize that and actually enter into that. It's going to be in Jesus. It's going to be seeing Him a lot differently than we have, and letting Him be the rule. Because all these verses, you tempted always in these verses to make Him the exception. Oh, that just proves He's the exception. It doesn't prove He's the exception. It proves that He is exactly who we're saying He is. He is worthy of our worship, our praise, our adoration. And you know what else? He's worthy of our emulation. I want to be that. I want to be like Him. That's who I was created to be. Like that. Like Him. Does so this happen overnight? No. We've all experienced little pieces of it. I just believe we can experience more. I just really believe we can enter into more of this over time. And again, it doesn't take place in a moment. It doesn't take place in a day or two. It takes place over time. It was putting ourselves and applying some faith that Jesus, that God the Father is changing us. Little by little to be more and more like jesus with stuff that matters and stuff that means something but also recognizing in the middle of all that not only our behavior changing which it does from the inside out but also our position and our expectations for what god wants to say and do through us like like things and powers being subject on us I mean, I want to be able to cast out demons. I want to be able to set people free. I want to be able to, to speak to to certain situations and certain things that are going on around me and seeing effect on that. Why? Because that's what God's intended for us to have dominion and to have things under subjection under our feet. That's what he intends. But we have to believe that and pour some faith into that in order to see it. i give you some examples, but I just sound crazy, so I won't. Come up with your own crazy examples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, raise people from the dead. Right? I'm waiting to see that. Not in a video. I'm waiting to actually see that. Be a part of that. All right, let's take a moment just to respond, see what God'll say and yeah, see how it lead you right? see how like maybe you'll lift your eyes tonight, yeah, you've been looking at yourself you've been looking down, but maybe you'll lift your eye maybe you lift your head, lift your eyes tonight and and you can fix your gaze on him, fix your gaze on Jesus, yeah it talks about we're made complete we're made complete in him. He's the author and the finisher of your faith tonight. He's the beginning and the end. I mean, he's all that. He's showing you who you are. What that looks like. What that sounds like. What that feels like. That we see him and we need when we see him not just to just be amazed at all he does, but to be inspired. That we've seen the things he've done, He's done, but we'll do even greater. Why? Because He said that. He didn't lie to us. He said that. We watched the Apostles do that. We watched the 70 and the 72 be sent out and do that. We see it in the book of Acts. In the early church. Over and over and over again. See it through the ministry of Peter and the ministry of Paul. We see Philip the Evangelist. Let some faith activate. Even if it's just a little bit in you tonight, let some faith just activate in you. It's not just words in your head. I'll be like Jesus. What does that mean? What's that going to look like? What's it going to sound like? Hmm. Thank You, Lord.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Restore Your purposes in us, God. Restore Your purposes in me. Restore Your purposes in our lives. Restore us to what You created us to be. Who You've created us to be. I pray we wouldn't just settle. We wouldn't just uh, just like uh, just settle for whatever. But there'd be more, more. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Lord.
1: If they that it wasn't a state that was we born human and it's not wrong but it was pretty important. Maybe mm-hmm. time for us to learn today by your power, by your presence, by your spirit.
0: Jesus, Jesus, Thank you, Jesus. Just give you praise and honor. We pray these things in strong, your mighty and strong name. Sweet blessing, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. Good to see you tonight.
1: UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background and culture span the spectrum as they gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You no, know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you uh-huh. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways. So musicians, writers, painters. You know my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community That. Well, you there's a lot of people. Yeah.